0: How much can you trust the advice given by TV doctors? A new research paper on the bmj.com has analyzed episodes of popular American TV shows to see if the health claims made on them are evidence-based. This podcast is a bit different as the authors host their own show, the BS Medicine Podcast, which tops the charts around the world, and they've given us permission to repost on the BMJ. So over to the BS Medicine Podcast team.
1: Welcome to the Best Science Medicine Podcast, BS without the BS. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 262nd episode of the Best Science Medicine Podcast. My name is James McCormack, and I am a professor with the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Sciences at the University of British Columbia in lovely Vancouver, British
2: Columbia. I'm Mike Allen. I'm a family physician and a professor at the University of Alberta in the Department of Family Medicine. And here in the luxurious Edmonton studios, I have with me today... Doctor, and there should there should be a drum roll or something here, James. Tina Karonic, the anchor of our team, in <laughs> all the positive <laughs> meanings of that, keeping us steady in the storm. That is you, James. The storm is you. Thanks. <laughs> it's
3: so good to be here.
2: <laughs> but uh, Tina is here today to talk about her paper, which is um, just been released from the BMJ, and it's on a. a slightly different topic than our previous research. Um, so, Tina, why don't you tell us a little bit about the paper and uh, the research and why you did it, I think.
3: Sure, Mike. The The paper that uh, is just being published is uh, uh, a paper that looks at uh, televised medical talk shows. And uh, essentially, it's a paper that looks at what is the evidence uh, behind the recommendations uh, uh, on those shows. So one of the reasons that we... We did this paper, and and you mentioned that it's my paper, but I I also must mention that you and James were are involved in this particular paper. We have a huge team.
2: Yeah, as I remember, we were pretty much complete on the paper, and James said, "Oh, can I throw my name on that?" <laughs> like he does with most of the work. Yeah. Is that is that how it went, James? Or? Uh,
1: exactly. And at that moment, the the quality jumped immediately
2: <laughs> to something that the BMJ would publish. <laughs> No, it, James was along from the very beginning of this ride, so yeah.
3: And he, he did have some good ideas. Yes. Oh, thanks, Tina. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank anyway, you. Anyway,
2: let's get let's get to what we
1: actually did and found.
3: Yeah. Okay. Well, and you asked uh, Mike why we did the, the right. study. So, what one of the reasons we did it? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Is um, obviously we do a lot of evidence-based uh, medicine, evidence and knowledge translation, and we do a lot of talks. And um, when we talk about applying evidence to practice, we have uh, practitioners come up to us afterwards and say um, you know this is great but how do i address questions from my patients when they come up to me and say you know i i was watching television and i i saw a recommendation on television that i should be taking this medication or this supplement or i should have this test how do i address that and then because we're all practitioners we see this in our own practice right on a regular basis we have patients who come in and say You know, I've started taking the supplement because it was recommended on this particular medical show. And um, often we're kind of left scrambling, trying to figure out what is the evidence for that? Is that something you should be doing? So we thought we should go ahead and sort of systematically look at these shows that are on television and um, determine what is the evidence base for what's being recommended.
1: And and we also hear when, you know, you'll hear the, the lay press talk about well this show does or it's not does or does not provide useful recommendations you know they're 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 of no value or they are a lot of value and really oftentimes it's not no one's really done a systematic review to really judge whether the uh, recommendations are made uh, whether they're evidence-based and so that's kind of one of the reasons we decided to do this
2: Yeah, yeah we really knew and in fact exactly james we had heard all these things and um At least myself, I was very ignorant of what occurred on any kind of television show that had a a medical bent at all. So we really, um, it just got us thinking that there's a lot of talk about these shows, but we really understand very little about them.
1: Yeah, and that's because you primarily watch The Simpsons, and that's where you get (laughs) most of your medical knowledge from.
2: (laughs) We'll have to we'll – that'll be our next study, looking at uh, be what funny. Dr. Hibbert recommends versus what Dr. Nick Riviere recommends. <laughs> but let's get back to what we, we actually did this time, and I think it'll probably have much more impact on uh, people, the shows, and, and uh, physicians than any research I do on The Simpsons.
3: So, well, what we did initially is um, we first did a search and looked at what are the main shows on television that are impacting or um, – that the general public is sort of getting their information from. And so when you look and looking for shows that air daily for an hour that might have some international distribution, the two shows we came up with were the Doctors and the Doctor Oz show. So we decided to go with those two shows. Um, the next thing we did is we, initially what we thought would be great is if we could obtain transcripts of the shows and right. look at the, uh, the, uh, the recommendations from that point of view. But one of the shows we could not obtain transcripts and we could not obtain copies of, old shows. So we went ahead and sort of prospectively recorded shows. So starting in January of 2013, we just started recording both of those shows on a regular basis and we recorded them up until the end of April.
2: Right. And yeah, so we we were keeping records and we ended up with about 80 of each show.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then we tried to figure out how many shows we'd need to actually watch.
3: Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> well, so first we sat down and watched a few of them as a team yeah. um, and tried to figure out what we were dealing with here. So what type of recommendations, how often they were being made, how many recommendations were in a show. Um, and we, from watching a few, we we made a few hypotheses, I guess, that maybe about half of the recommendations would be evidence-based and that maybe you'd get two good, solid recommendations per show. So based on that. um,
2: And we define those as strong recommendations because what we wanted was something that, you know, we felt that the uh, guest or host of the show was... pretty clear that you should be doing so we defined it as strong recommendations but what it really meant was things that they said everyone should be doing this mm-hmm. if they used phrases like that or if they repeated it over and over again you all need to get this checked and then later on so just to be clear we all need to get this checked and so that when we were hearing it over and over again we were hearing it in very strong language um we, those were defined as stronger recommendations. There were other recommendations being made, mm-hmm. but we, we tried to pick out the strongest for the evidence. And then we, we set to task our um, uh, statistician to say, if how many shows will we have to watch if there are uh, two strong recommendations per show? Um, how many shows will we have to watch before we get a really a narrow confidence interval, kind of plus or minus 10%? to say how many shows have um, an evidence base for them, or how many recommendations have an evidence base for them.
3: Yeah, uh, so yeah. And so the the bottom line uh, was that about 40 episodes of each show should right. uh, get us what we needed. So we randomly selected 40 from the ones that we had recorded, and two members of our team sat down and independently watched each of those 40 shows, and um, we had fairly large spreadsheet where they extracted data from the shows, particularly with regard to all recommendations that were made, Uh, all recommendations, who made the recommendation, uh, uh, and who the recommendations were for, any sort of other information associated.
2: Right. Like little caveats like this is targeted at, you know, um, uh, women after menopause should all be doing this. We would would record that kind of information to, to get a feel for what kind of things were being recommended and, and to what groups and, and all of that kind of thing. And these people did it, uh, our our team members did it independently of one another. And then after it was all done, they got together and um, looked at their whether they agreed or not um, on their data extraction. Where they didn't, uh, they had the times of the shows uh, bookmarks so they'd be able to find them and then they saw if they could sort it out. And if they couldn't, they brought either myself uh, Tina or, uh, Mike Culver, who was also a very big part of this study into the room and had us, uh, try and weigh in on, um, making a final decision on what that recommendation was. Yeah. That's right. And then after that, Tina, we, we looked at our data and we weren't happy. (laughs) We, we weren't. No, we, it was really us. I felt right. We, we were kind of, we weren't sure what, what it, how good the information we would get with that first data extraction, and we felt we were kind of missing pieces, right? Yeah,
3: like I think you're highlighting a key thing. We, we felt like we hadn't captured adequately sort of captured um, everything that we were interested in looking at right. um, with the just looking at recommendations. And so this is where we went um, and tried to look at the data again and think what other information is necessary uh, to help us figure out, you know, what is the quality of the information that's being presented here?
1: And also specifically what is being said. Yeah, Yeah,
3: exactly. And actually, James, this is a a big part of your, you had some great ideas when it came to this, looking at what are the other components of information we should be looking at. And so we decided that we would have two new uh, researchers go back and review all of these shows again um, and all the recommendations that had already been recorded. And extract some additional information, specifically, whenever a recommendation was made, was there a benefit made, uh, uh, sorry, a benefit stated in regards to that recommendation, and was the benefit specific? For instance, if I say everyone should be taking vitamin E, um, do I say why they should be taking it? Hopefully, I do. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I do, do I say for your general health, which is pretty hard to measure, or do I say because it will, you know reduce your risk of heart attacks by 10%, which Right.
2: Would... So we so we looked for whether they were saying something in general. So yeah. it was some that might be something like take vitamin E it will reduce inflammation. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be enough to measure. So if they said it will reduce inflammation and therefore reduce your risk of cancer. We felt that that was more specific. And then if they went on to say this will reduce your risk of cancer by 10 percent. That was the mention of a magnitude of benefit. Yeah, they might also define whether or not it was uh, there were harms associated with it. So vitamin E might do this to you as well. Uh, that's negative or 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 um or an adverse event. And then lastly, we are in that kind of vein, we asked them to look at costs. So did they mention costs in any way? We were pretty broad on that. Weren't we, Tina? Yeah,
3: if they even mentioned that this could be expensive, or this is pretty inexpensive, we counted that as just even an acknowledgement that there are costs associated with many of these interventions. So Uh, We looked for that. And then finally, we asked them to look for uh, any mention of potential conflict of interest. So, and again, we were pretty uh, broad with this, just any recognition. And then we enlisted the help of our evidence-based medicine colleagues. And um, for each recommendation, we had two independent uh, reviewers look for evidence uh, surrounding those recommendations. So we took each recommendation, turned it into an evidence-based medicine type question, and each reviewer uh, was was given a list of, of these questions and asked to search for evidence uh, to support or refute the recommendations. And what we did is we set out some guidelines. We set out a number of databases that they should go and search, including PubMed, PubMed, uh, um,
2: Natural,
3: Natural standard, right. yeah, in medicine, yeah. Uh, Cochrane, Google even, yeah. Exactly. And we said that you um, so, so should search for evidence. If you find high-quality evidence quickly, so a, a well-done randomized controlled trial or a systematic review, you don't need to go on. Um, but if you're having trouble, you should search for at, at least an hour Um to see if there's any evidence that you can find to support or refute this particular recommendation. And so we had two reviewers doing that for each recommendation.
1: Independently.
3: Independently. Absolutely.
1: Yep. And, right. and the reason we did that is, is it would be impossible to, you know, do a system. It would be possible, I suppose, but, uh, we didn't felt feel that like we had the time to do a perfect systematic review for all of these things, but we felt that, you know, we, we were using people who are, you know, fairly, uh, consistently looking for these sorts of pieces of evidence for questions surrounding medical care. And so we thought if, if they couldn't find it within an hour, it would be unlikely that we would have missed, uh, you know, really key pieces of information.
2: Yeah, some something substantial. But we mm-hmm. didn't – then then with that information, they they gave to um, the four uh, kind of core team members, and that was Tina in the lead and then uh, James, you, myself, and Mike Colbert. And we sat down and went over what they found – and we further searched if we weren't satisfied that we wondered maybe there was more. And that's uh, four of us, and we would search up to a half hour more. So it, these searches, uh, at a minimum kind of thing, were two hours, mm-hmm. and at, at maximum were uh, up to four hours of person hours searching for an answer um, to find evidence uh, to support the recommendation. So you're right. It's not a systematic review. And we state that very clearly in the limitations, but it's, is this, you know, we're, we're probably getting most of the, the important studies out there. And as you say, doing a full systematic review of all 80 from each show would, um, generally have precluded this from finishing in the next decade. Yeah. So I, I think people can be comfortable that we did a reasonable attempt to find yeah. the information to find some information yeah. and and it would be unlikely that anything substantial was missed mm-hmm.
3: absolutely yeah so and once we had gathered all, uh yeah all the evidence and we sat down as a group of four we reviewed the evidence uh, and then we had to come up with some sort of way of de- uh, grading the evidence essentially so we looked at uh, was the evidence consistent was there If there were multiple uh, studies, were they consistent with their results? Um, Was also was our internal consistency within the studies. And uh, then we ultimately decided on um, a rating of is this evidence believable or not? And we said, yes, it is believable. Or we had a category of intermediate believability. We thought it could be. And then the other category was no.
2: Yeah. And so just to give you some examples, uh, so what might be – what's internal consistency? So if you're looking at a study that is claiming to have an impact on diabetes, it might find that fasting sugars were improved, but random sugars, um, glucose tolerance, A1C, um, symptoms, all sorts – none of that was improved. We would say that that lacked internal consistency if only Mm -hmm. one out of a half a dozen or dozen outcomes – if it didn't agree with other studies, if the quality of the study was poor, also that would weigh into, um, whether we, the study, the results were believable. Um, and if the size of the effect was, was very small, um, or the confidence intervals, very broad, we might also, uh, reduce the believability based on that.
1: Yeah. And we, we actually struggled with coming up with, how do we word our findings? Like you know, because you can do the you know internally consistent and all those sorts of sort of evidence based terms, but we we really wanted to come up with you know is it believable and (laughs) you know so so it's it's a it's it's a fairly liberal or fairly uh, subjective. Uh, sort of use of the term but again it's it's for people who do this basically for a living on a fairly regular basis and so we felt that that would be a reasonable approach to doing this is, is after we've looked at it do we believe based on either yes
2: intermediate or no? Yeah and it's surprising we did debate a number of them but we found that overall the vast majority of times we did agree once we uh, people had different chances to kind of say their issues or concerns with, with articles or the strengths of the articles yeah. Um, so it was a, it was it was quite a long process. Many days, um, just of that. Of the four of us <laughs> yeah. locked in a room, never allowed to escape. Yeah. <laughs> Tina holding a gun to her head. We must finish this research. So no, it was. Uh, I think the process is as good as it can be for, um, k- kind of doing this kind of work. Mm-hmm. So I guess the question is: After we did all that, Tina, what did we actually find?
3: What? So uh, we should
2: we should probably start with kind of the core, like the topics and the the recommendations. And to, just to, for people to understand too, who haven't v- viewed these shows either, as, as we hadn't previously, a, t- a topic is um, kind of the, just what it sounds like. It's the thing that's talked about for a certain period of time. Frequently, it's between commercials. So mm-hmm. the show comes on and today we're going to be talking about brain health and then they might talk about a certain agents that can improve brain health. Um, and you'll find out maybe it's actually dementia that they're really talking about. But they'll go on with that for about 12 minutes. There'll be a, a commercial break and they'll come back. They might still be on that or they might now be on um, looking good for the weight loss before summer. And and then that would be 12 minutes or so. So those are kind of how topics are are done. And then recommendations are where they say, you should do this. And so... -hmm.
1: And just sort of to put it... So we we started off with, you know, somewhere between 400 and 500 recommendations out of each show. We identified the stronger recommendations and there were anywhere between sort of... One show had 219, the other one had 291 stronger recommendations. And then we randomly selected out of that group uh, 80.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah, for so, the,
1: that's so, for the, yeah. Yeah. So the eighty so the the results that you're gonna hear are the on the basis of the evaluation of eighty randomly selected strong recommendations from each show.
2: That's for the evidence review, but the, for the, for the evidence be- review, yeah. Yeah, for yeah. the pieces before that, Tina, why don't you tell us a little bit about the topics of the show and the recommendations?
3: Yeah. So the topics are the the general overriding themes, like you just described, Mike. The most common topic on both the Dr. Oz show and the doctors was general medical advice. And you might say that seems uh, fairly broad, but um, essentially what we had was sort of eight main topics. So they could be weight loss, counseling, um, dietary, but not weight loss, alternative therapy, cosmetic exercise, and then you're uh, general medical advice, non medical advice. So a lot of categories fit into general medical advice for both, um, and then followed by uh, weight loss, dietary, but non weight loss type of topics, were the generally the second most common topics discussed on those
2: shows. Right, and this is there's parts where the shows were very very similar in their results in our study, mm-hmm. and there were parts where they were quite different. And this, I think, one of the biggest differences, um, Tina was that when you combine weight loss and dietary non-weight loss things, so mainly talking about what you're eating,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, uh, that was much more dominant in the Dr. Oz show than it was in the doctor show.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So discussion of food of any sort seems to be much more prevalent in the Dr. Oz show. So food to lose weight, food to uh, make your immune system better, to make your skin better feel better or what have you was much more prominent in the Dr. Oz show. The doctors uh, tended to spread it out a little bit more with regards to general medical advice. Um, And uh, they also did uh, talk about dietary interventions, but not as frequently. uh,
2: Yeah. So for example, it was about 43% of the topics on the Dr. Oz show were either dietary or weight loss advice. Um, and uh, for the doctor show, it was about seventeen percent. So yeah. th- that was, and then, and then for general medical advice, it was about sixty-six percent for the doctor's show, and the doctor Oz was about thirty-two. Exactly. So,
3: uh, yeah, and we sort of gave examples, but we said ge- general medical advice could include uh, all sorts of things. So advice around tonsillitis, uh, discussions around influenza. Yeah. You know, tips cancer from-
2: screening. It can. It yeah, could be exactly. really anything, and yeah. so. Um. so so they were common in both shows. That's why they're called medical talk shows.
3: Yeah so, <laughs> um, and, yeah, so exactly. You might say, well, that's not very exciting, but it would be even more exciting if that wasn't the most common topic right, being right. discussed. So if they
1: were selling vacuum cleaners,
2: <laughs> yeah. that or would be an odd thing. You know,
1: so
3: it, it's just interesting because I think <laughs> it's right. still important to
2: remember that the Dr. Oz show, you know, uh, people might say that, it's all about this or that, but actually they're still talking a lot about health issues that are not, that are, that are pure healthcare issues. So yeah. 30, mm-hmm. 30 something percent. So, <laughs> and then what about the recommendations, Tina?
3: Well, right. So recommendations uh, were, are interesting to look at. It's, yeah. What are they talking about? So if you look at the Dr. Oz show here, by far the most common recommendation. So uh, telling you that something that you might want to consider doing was around dietary advice. So that was, 39% of the recommendations were around dietary advice. Um, that contrast to the doctor's show, about 10% of their recommendations were dietary advice. Um, what's interesting is if you compare that to uh, exercise, uh, dietary advice was all, almost eight times more common than recommendations around exercise on the Dr. Oz show. Um, and it was about twice as common uh, on the doctor's show. So they tended to favor dietary recommendations over exercise recommendations
2: yeah. over activity type stuff. Yeah,
3: exactly. This The most common recommendation on the doctors overall was to consult a healthcare provider.
2: Which, yeah. Which I was interesting, but surprising for us.
3: Yeah, it was surprising and it it is interesting. So in a lot of different scenarios, they would say, if you're worried about this, go talk to your healthcare provider. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was uh, the most common on the doctors and they, uh, recommended that about 18% of the time, 18% of the recommendations for that.
2: And one of the things that comes up, you hear Dr. Oz talks a lot about alternative therapies, but we didn't find that it was a huge amount or certainly maybe um, not as much as maybe I expected. Well, How often was that kind of thing brought up, Tina?
3: Yeah, the Dr. Oz show for alternative, uh, well, al- alternative therapy, and we had, or we kind of divided it into oral therapy and, and non-oral therapy, so that might be something some paste you would slather on your chest or something okay um so in total if you sort of combine those two they were close to about 20 percent of the recommendations um and it was much less for the the doctor so yeah it certainly is there it's uh maybe not as prevalent it depends again where you're coming from exactly because some
2: people will think that that's all um that's talked about on something like the dr oz show and yet um, and then there's other people who might be surprised that it's talked even, uh, 20% of the time. And I think the doctor's show was, uh, less than 10% of the time. So, yeah.
3: um,
2: so it, it just, these are some of the differences. We'll get to where they're very, very similar in in a few seconds, but that's kind of the core of the recommendations and, and, and just to remind everybody, we, we looked at for the Dr. Oz show 479 recommendations, mm-hmm. about 12 per episode. Yeah. And for the doctors, it was about 445 or about, um, Eleven per episode, if I'm not mistaken.
3: Yeah, that and uh, Mike Culver, I think, was the one who pointed out. So, say you just average, you just for calculation ease, say ten recommendations a show. If you're watching five shows a week, uh, you know, fifty recommendations a week, two hundred recommendations a month, that starts to become a lot of recommendations to sort through. Mm-hmm. If you're uh, just a member of the general public watching this show, every yeah, day. there's
2: a lot of suggestions made yeah. on these shows. That I think that's one of the things that maybe was a bit of a surprise to me just how often things are being suggested or advised we
3: didn't know what we were getting into (laughs) yeah no No. (laughs) a lot of recommendations absolutely
2: you could you can tell um by the fact that we had to readjust our our methods a couple times that we really had no idea what was going on and we had really had no predisposition or understanding of these shows (laughs) before we started um which was a good and a and a well, it, it led to challenges for us, but it was also a good thing because we didn't go in with a lot of um, uh, bias about what to expect from the shows.
3: Right. Exactly. Yeah.
2: So then we we kind of looked at the quality of what information is the information that's coming out of there. Can you make good decisions based on this information? Yeah. And this is the stuff that James said: if you don't go back and do this, I'm never going to talk to you again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you, I said, very- if you want
1: to make it a very, if you want to make it a you know a solid publication, you should do this
2: yeah and, and and if you don't do it yeah, it won't come be- yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: so we went ahead and did it yeah <laughs> um, and this is uh, it's interesting how similar the shows were with yeah. they with these particular questions so when you looked at was the recommendation associated with a benefit which seems like a ridiculous question but again um, wouldn't that be interesting if they weren't right. uh and uh, just so the doctors show about 95% of the recommendations were associated with the benefit and 90% of those on the doctor. So um, surprisingly, it's not 100%. Yeah,
2: but it's, you know, but these things that yeah. some of these would be very weak recommendations exactly. and they would be kind of things that might have been said more or less off the cuff that we would have debated. Is that enough? You have to understand that there's some there is a subjective nature here that we're taking our best guess. And overall, we try to favor the shows as much as possible because if you want to be nitpicky about anything and James you know this you can tear apart any study you want oh yeah and, and, um, you, could, and you
1: could be nitpicky about any recommendations that come from health any healthcare provider absolutely I mean if so you were you, to just if you were to
2: just record what's said in
1: in you know, oh. medical offices or in pharmacies or wherever it, you know you could easily do very very similar things to what we uh, yeah. did with these shows and and there there's another paper
2: Right, and we just wanted to be – so we wanted to be much – we wanted to be, um, I we were, think, as we were open liberal. And, and liberal as, yeah. as possible. So, So, yeah, so 90 – about 90% of them have some kind of – benefit mentioned
3: yeah absolutely and then when we look at is was the benefit specific um about 40 percent of the time the benefit was considered specific and you gave some examples of that okay. before mike but uh, um, and i mean we even had some debates in our group right one was this will improve your brain power
2: yeah what is that specific and i think we decided no because we couldn't figure out what to measure and so yeah that was exactly. kind of our litmus test is yeah. there something you could measure? So if they said this'll help prevent dementia, well we have the MSE and an and ADS cog and a series of things to measure dementia. Yeah. But brain power itself was too vague. So we would um so that that when you see that for just over forty percent were specific, that's what we're talking about. There was something more definitive. Yeah. Um there mentioned like this will help with dementia.
3: Exactly. Um, And then was the magnitude of benefit measured? So uh, mentioned. So this is really important. I think specifically, yeah, when we talk about patient informed decision making. So even if I say, you take this pill, this will reduce your risk of heart attack. That sounds fantastic. But what is the actual magnitude of benefit? So when we looked at these shows, magnitude of benefit was mentioned in both shows less than 20% of the time. And yeah. interestingly, often when it was measured, it was it mentioned, it was is discussed in relative terms. And so we all know that relative terms tend to exaggerate the benefit often yeah. um, and make it appear much more enticing than if you actually discussed absolute
2: benefit. Right. So the numbers were kind of 16 and a half for Dr. Oz and around 11 for the doctors. Yeah. And then harms were mentioned um maybe just less than 10%. So 98 with the Dr. Osho and 76 with the doctors. Costs were mentioned more than I thought they'd be.
3: Yeah, exactly. And the Dr. Osho seemed to be uh, just over 10% of the time. So 13% of the time, they would make some reference to a cost.
2: Yeah. And the doctors was around three, but yeah. I, I didn't really think that there would be much mention of that. We in medicine aren't great at that. So uh, Tina and I did a study years ago of mm. looking at how much do randomized control trials mention costs, and there's not, it's not—it's not that different. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. it
1: may—and it may depend on you know if you're mentioning certain products that you might end up going and buying, you may just by nature be yep. mentioning more about costs. So again, it's not a—it's—it's it, it's these are tricky comparisons to go between the two shows.
2: Oh yeah, I don't That's think it, that the, yeah. I yeah. think that these shows. For all intents and purposes, James, are very similar across the board in these measures. The kind of the, what we call the quality of information that was provided, th- that they were very, very similar. Well, at least the,
1: not necessarily quality, the details.
2: Yeah, details, yeah.
3: Yeah. Details, okay. And then finally was looking at uh, a mention of conflict of interest. So was any mention or reference made to conflict of interest? And what the reviewers did is they would just record any time they saw uh, a mention or reference to conflict of interest. So uh, after watching 40 shows of each, of each. So 80 shows in total, conflict of, 900
2: minutes. recommendations Yeah, 900 so.
3: recommendations. We had, we had
2: a total of how many for both shows. And there
3: was four mentions yeah. of So
2: it's of just, interest. it's not common. And I don't know, I don't know if the, <laughs> I don't know how you describe was, not, not common that, I would say. <laughs> that. Would, yeah, it's rare. James. Yeah. Well, rare. even, rare. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's, you know, it, would the public expect that though? I don't know if they would. We in medicine are, are, there's been some research that shows we're more uptight about conflict of interest than the public is mm-hmm. often. So, um, so, are they expecting it? I don't. I don't know. But it's one of the things that we look at a lot, and so we thought we'd include it. So, is that bad or good? Most people in medicine would go, "Oh, they should be talking about that more." But I'm not even sure the public that would matter to them, or, or for the most of them, anyway.
1: Yeah, and we found a similar thing in the, in the news reports that we did when we looked at this. It was it was you know on occasion mentioned, but not to the degree where you would be able to make a, a, any sort of a judgment based on that conflict of interest.
2: Right. So that leads us to the last thing. Oh, no, I was just going to
1: say, but in, in, and there was four, and it was three times more likely in a doctor's show. Yeah. It was once in the Dr. <laughs> Oz show and three times
2: in the doctor's show. Yeah, again, that, that's a really good example of how you shouldn't base uh, those results in a comparative nature at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because the... the, the You know, if we watched forty more episodes, it could easily. I don't think the number of mentions of conflict of interest would be very high again. But it could easily be three and one the other way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the big question now is, what did we find as far as evidence goes? Um, And so the 160 or so recommendations are 80 for each one that we looked at. Tina, what did? How many times did uh, Doctor Oz and the doctors have evidence agree with what they were saying?
3: Right. So if you look at overall, is there presence of evidence that agrees with the Dr. Oz show? Um, The answer is about 46% of the time. However, if you, like we had mentioned before, we rated the evidence for believability. So, and we were, again, we were very lenient with our inclusion criteria for evidence. Mm. Not sure if we mentioned that, but so the existence of a case report and better was considered presence of evidence so i think that's very lenient we didn't include expert opinion because by nature sort of all these recommendations are considered expert opinion yeah because
2: these are experts on a show giving recommendations so you can't really use that standard
3: exactly that's right so the presence of any type of evidence about 46 percent of the time for the dr oz show if you want to look at evidence that we consider to be an intermediate or better believability, then you have about 33% of the recommendations being supported by evidence. So about one-third of the recommendations have some evidence to support them. Um, what's interesting is we also came across recommendations where the evidence actually disagreed with what was being recommended on the show. So certain recommendations, there was fair evidence to suggest that that actually was not um,
2: a good recommendation. Yeah,
3: exactly. That, uh, and well. if you look at um, overall presence of evidence that disagreed was about 15%. Uh, however, again, if we just look at the believable evidence that disagreed, it's about 11% of the time. So about 1 in 10 of the recommendations actually had evidence to the that contrary. disagreed. Yeah. yeah. The and was the it point.
2: was relatively believable. And then about 39% had no evidence um, either way.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Which was also... Uh, yeah, interesting.
2: Right, and but the doctor show was a little, a little different, but not—I I wouldn't say a huge difference. So,
3: right, yeah. So, and yeah, we're always so careful because we didn't officially compare the shows, and that wasn't our intent. It was just sort of to describe what is what's happening on these shows. But on well, the doctor, although
1: I was going to say we 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 chose we we wanted to have more than one show.
3: We did, because, right? Because
1: because otherwise, how can you put it into any sort of a context? Right, I I agree, James. I think if you had
2: one, if we had one show, people would say, well, that's the Let's say the doctor's show mm-hmm. or the Dr. Oz show. And I, and I think by doing the two, if we had, if we could have found more, we, we would have. have done more, yeah. Yeah. but unfortunately there's, there's just the two or for whatever your opinion is, mm-hmm. but we just had two to study. And I think, um, what we, by having the two though, and having a number of areas that they're very similar kind of suggests that probably a lot of these shows would be similar.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: So what did the doctors find, Tina?
3: The doctors found, so overall, the presence of evidence for the doctors was was a little higher, 63%. Again, if we just look at evidence that it was of intermediate or better believability, as rated by our group, it was about 53%. So about half of the recommendations were supported by somewhat believable evidence on the doctor's
1: show. And, and just as a reminder, the Dr. Oz show was about... One third.
3: One third. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: So
2: about yeah. a third versus a
3: half. Yeah, exactly. And if you looked at the evidence disagreeing, there was a, a quite similar, um, about 14%. Um, if you looked at believable evidence, again, that disagreed, uh, you get similar 13% basically. Yeah, yeah. And no evidence for the doctors occurred about 24% of the time.
1: And that was, again, in contrast to what the Dr. Oz show, which was about just under 40%. Yeah, Yeah. uh, exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But again, these, you know, our, even our final um, thing, which was right around overall 50% of the recommendations had, I think it was 54 or something had, had, had uh, evidence to support them. The confidence intervals there were 47 to 62. So very close to the the two shows themselves mm-hmm. at the upper ends of the confidence intervals. So, you know, do they, do they really disagree that much? We, we decided very clearly not to do statistics to compare them. That wasn't the point of yeah. our study. It was to describe the shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't, and, and that would lead people to believe that one was better than the other. And there would be a lot more that we would need to study that yeah. before anyone could say that. So but,
1: but what we wanted to do though was really, he, he, these are the numbers that we found yeah, and and a, per- and a person can make their own judgment, and and it's kind of like what we b- we believe in other research is really here is what we found. You make up your own mind about yeah. whether this shows that the the shows are similar, that they're different, or whatever. That's that, that's up to the listener and or and or the reader of these of these articles.
2: Yeah, and you, you could easily nitpick the numbers even in our study and yeah, say, well, absolutely. you know, the number reporting costs was higher in the Dr Oz show, so that shows better. And then you could go, well, the number that, you know, with the reasonable evidence or believable evidence is, is higher in the doctor's show. And so you could go back and forth. I don't know that I don't, I, I think it's, that's why we purposely avoided trying to say (laughs) one's better than the other. uh, How do you define that? Yeah. The
1: the data shows what the data shows.
2: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So that, that's kind of, of it. I mean, we, um, we, we took a long time doing the study and Tina was Dogged about getting the study done because I um, wasn't the best <laughs> at jumping on board originally, but Tina never gave up, and it was a, it was a, you know, it was partly because I had never watched the shows; I didn't know anything about them other than my patients occasionally asking, or as Tina said, people from um, different talks we've done. But it, I think it was a brilliant idea. No one's looked at this, and we see, as you pointed out, James, lots of people writing in. Um, most of them are angry at Dr. Oz. A few are, are and 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 TV shows in general. And others are less so. But it's generally, and we we really have no grounds to say even what's happening in these shows. But now we, that is there. So yeah. I think it was a, yeah. it was good. on was a great okay. idea, and it was good of her to keep us focused and get this done because it did take a, it was quite. It laborious. was a lot. Yeah,
3: it was a lot of work. It took a lot. A lot of people involved. You'll see a lot of people listed on the paper and they all have made significant contributions because it was a lot of work to do this this paper. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think it at least provides us with some document or evidence uh, that's useful for physicians when they're talking with their patients about just encouraging them to be skeptical about what uh, both the recommendations that they hear on these shows because there definitely are limitations. And then also information for, for the public with regards to uh, what is the yeah, the detail of information that's provided on these shows. And sometimes people don't even, they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah. raising that issue of these are the things you should be asking about. What is, yeah, the magnitude of benefit? What is the specific benefit? What are the potential harms and costs associated with this? And these are questions that they should, yeah, be raising and trying to find the answers to before they they go ahead and follow some of these recommendations.
1: And I, I was going to say, it's really no different than, than what you would see in newspapers or magazines or, you know, radio programs and, and that sort of stuff. And so even though our line is that we said the public should be skeptical about recommendations made on medical talk shows, it's mm-hmm. it, pe- people should be asking, as you said, Tina, these specific questions uh, when they get health
2: recommendations basically from anybody. or Anything. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Yeah wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. and i think what'll be interesting to see after a little bit of time who knows maybe no one will care about the paper but if i suspect it'll generate some interest and i and I'll, i'll be interested to see if you're a dr oz or doctors if you're for the doctor show a hater of them i think you'll find ammunition in here to support your belief system
3: right
2: and i think also if you're a If you're, um, you, but they could also look at this and say, what do you mean? There's no way that 50% of the recommendations in, or 62% of the recommendations in the doctor's show has evidence to support it. There's no way it's that good. So I can see people coming out, you know, uh, dissatisfied or or using it as ammunition. And and I, again, go back to the thing that wasn't meant for that. It was meant to just describe it. But I can see people being, Upset both ways.
1: Yeah, and and, and yeah. again, realizing that you know, I would suggest that for every one of the recommendations that are made in the, in these in these TV shows, if you were uh, sort of uh, extremely anal about your evidence, you could probably find out that none of them stand the the, the oh. uh, scrutiny. <laughs> and, and and so that's why we were we were we, we wanted to be quite liberal and so what you're the results that you're seeing is a fairly liberal look at the recommendations
2: yeah james it's interesting you bring that up because in the in our peer review um one of the peer reviewers uh was um i wouldn't say frustrated or anything but they were clear that they thought that we were being too liberal yeah. um yeah in our uh that they felt the examples that we gave um all of them they would have said that there's no evidence yeah and so it's a it's it's interesting, um and certainly having heard and seen the way Tina, myself, and and you write, James, people might be surprised at how liberal we were. But I I think it I really do believe that that was the right way to do this study, rather than be extraordinarily strict. Yeah,
1: well, um, and, and I think and, and I was going to say, we, and we were con- we were consistent between both shows. Yeah,
3: yeah, we were yeah. consistent, and it. I don't know if it's completely fair to apply such strict uh, criteria to the shows. When, if you we look at our own medical practices, um, I mean, we're certainly that's part of our job is to encourage people to consider the evidence more and, and be more evidence based. But a lot of what we do in medicine is still not based on on high grade evidence. So. Yeah, for sure,
2: and these for shows sure. are, you know also there for entertainment purposes right you you actually wrote that james and that that was one of the um, pieces you wrote in the paper was that do we should we be considering things more than entertainment Was like should we be holding them to a higher standard than that and yeah you know and, and i was gonna say you don't have an answer
1: to that and where it gets tricky though you mean as if one just listens to these shows i know i've certain certainly listened to you know or a few of them you know you hear them in the background and so on and sometimes you go yeah that's a really good recommendation yeah and yep. Yep. and some and then you also hear go, really?
3: <laughs>
1: You're yeah. truly recommending that, eh? Huh. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. And so it's that it's that trickiness. And so we just, like I said, we tried to provide at least some objective
2: evaluation of these shows, and hopefully that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think it. Uh, and now you know as much as we know about the Doctor, our show <laughs> and the Doctor's show.
1: So uh, well, that was great, guys. And, and congratulations, Tina, on uh, being the first author and very well deserved uh, of this paper. And uh, so uh, I think uh, this is sort of an uh, an interesting podcast because we're sort of promoting something that we've published in the BMJ. So hopefully people found it useful and, and adds to the value of the, uh, of the article that was published in the BMJ. So I think uh, we'll just leave it at that. So thanks as always for listening. Talk to you later.
3: Thank
0: you. And you've been listening to the BS Medical Podcast team talking about their paper, televised medical talk shows, what they recommend, and the evidence to support their recommendations, which is now published on thebmj.com.